welcome to this week's podcast of History Speaks from the Montour County Historical Society. My name is Terry Diener, a member of the Board of Directors. As part of our 2019 speaker series, we're privileged to have Danville native Sue Reichen-Boardman, Leadership Program Director and Licensed Battlefield Guide with the Gettysburg Foundation, on August the 7th. She will talk about Montour County men at the Battle of Gettysburg. Doors open at the Boyd House Museum at 6.30. The program begins at 7 o'clock and there is a $5 admission. Danville had its own symphony orchestra in the 1920s with a short revival in the early 30s. It came together largely because of the direction and support of Dr. Harold Layton Foss of Geisinger Medical Center, who was also a playing member and treasurer of the organization. E. Hart Bugby was its director over the years. 36 years ago, Historical Society board member Tom McGill sat down with Samuel Syke Miller of Danville, who was a part of the symphony orchestra, and we share a portion of that interview this week. When did you play in the Danville Symphony Orchestra? Well, I, I started in the orchestra in the early 20s, shortly after it was organized. I was, a, I think, a, in high school at the time. For what period of time did this orchestra exist? Probably uh, it ceased to exist in the very early 30s or the late 20s. Continuously during that period of time? Yes, yes. It existed every, every year. They. Uh, perform three concerts a year. And looking at the programs you have shared with me today, I know it was a first-class orchestra simply because of the type of music they played. How did this come about, this orchestra? M my my recollection is that do Dr. Foss was completely responsible for the establishment of the orchestra, and actually was responsible for uh, the orchestra because of his deep interest in it and his outstanding knowledge of music and uh, it reached a point I think when uh, his responsibility to the hospital was so great that he no longer had time to vote uh, to the orchestra and when he had to uh, give up uh, a lot of his time do that and uh, the orchestra just folded. In the early 30s? Uh, yes, it was probably in the late 20s. Uh, the, I think it was in the early 30s because we still had an orchestra in the early 30s. Obviously, uh, although Dr. Frost, as you suggest, was a prime mover in it, there were other people, and I noticed in one of your programs, and it was totally news to me, who were some of these other people besides Dr. Frost who... Quite a number of prominent citizens at the time that lent their support to it. Oh, Mrs. Polk and uh, Judy Price and the, the Folk family were very active in the orchestra, both as uh, members of the orchestra the, in the operation of it. Turk Miller's uh, mother was on and Joe Patton, many people might recall him. I would say that the, uh, the principal people that were involved were uh, with Dr. Foss and perhaps the Folks and uh, Mr. Tooley was very instrumental uh, in helping to organize the orchestra, and it was a strong supporter of it. Well, that's wonderful. Names such like that mean a lot to the history of Danville. It's good to know that they had an interest in uh, the cultural end of Danville, besides just business, although they were all, most of them were all very active in the business community also. The name that I've always known as a director of the orchestra was J. Hart Pugby, and I suppose, uh, like Stokowski and Toscanini, the conductor's personality lends a lot to any orchestra. Were there ever any other directors besides Hart Bubby? Well, he, he, he was a conductor of the orchestra. His name was E. Hart Bubby. E. Hart, I said J. Hart. Yeah, and he, he was a resident of Wimsport, and he was a very fine violinist and very well trained. He had played at one time with a famous quartet, the Kniesel Quartet, 
They had an orchestra in Williamsport, in which he conducted, one in Milton and one in Danville. And when we performed a concert, those from each orchestra would join in, in uh, playing in the concert. And uh, as a result, they, they had a pretty good group of musicians there for amateurs. As a matter of fact, at one of the concerts, a very world-famous cellist was a soloist. His name was Hans Kindler. And I remember uh, after the concert that he considered a very fine little amateur orchestra. And that was quite a compliment coming from him because he was world famous. And later, he became, I believe, the first conductor of the National Symphony Orchestra in Washington. And they had some other distinguished uh, solos. Uh, the first cellist of the Philadelphia Orchestra also was a soloist one. His name was Michael Pena. And, of course, Dr. Foss knew a great deal about the Philadelphia Orchestra because he would hear them frequently on his visit to Philadelphia. The thing about Dr. Foss, I think he probably was the most, not probably, I definitely think he was the most knowledgeable person about music in our area. And one time someone asked me if he played the trumpet very well, and I told him about it. He says, well, what did you tell him? I said, well, I told him as a trumpet player you were a great surgeon. <laughs> and he laughed. He loved. He loved music. Uh, what type of a person was Hartmut? You would never, if you knew him or saw him, you would never guess he was a musician. He could swear like a trooper, and he would swear, and it didn't make any difference whether it was Dr. Foss or Reverend Bernight from the Pine Feet Lutheran Church or anybody. Uh, nothing stopped him. He, he was a fine conductor and very highly respected in the music world, but as I said, he was a tough guy. There was a story that uh, someone called him a sissy musician and he knocked the guy clear over the bar. Sank, uh, how many members on average were there in, in, in the orchestra? When it was at its peak, you might say. Oh, I suppose uh, when you would include the people from Milton or Williamsport that uh, played in the orchestra along with the people from Danville. I imagine it must have been 60. Well, we rehearsed in uh, what is now the Oddfellas building. At that time, that building was owned by Javon Levine, and they built it as a recreation uh, center for the women that worked in their plants. It was something like a YWCA for their employees, and we rehearsed every Tuesday evening uh, in beginning in the fall. We gave three concerts uh, a season, one probably late in the fall, one in the winter, and then one in the spring, in the, in the Opera House, in the Danville Opera House, usually. And that was one of the crowning events of the town. Uh, the townspeople packed the place, and of course uh, the families of those who played in it uh, certainly were there, and looking upon their offsprings with great pride. I remember uh, they tell a story that Bill Lawrence played the French horn, but Bill was not uh, inclined to come often, and he showed up one night when we were going to play a concert, and Mr. Bugby said, what are you going to do? And Bill said, well, I came for the concert. He says, you don't blow one note on that horn. <laughs> and Bill pleaded with him, he said, my parents are coming and all this and that, and Bugby says, all right, you sit there, but don't you dare blow oh. <laughs> Go to in the, in the other towns to play? Did they well, have a uh, yes. Uh, I remember distinctly we gave a concert at the Bloomsburg, it was called the Bloomsburg Normal School uh, then, and we went up in a trolley car. Oh, it was okay. in the wintertime. But the most interesting thing about that concert, uh, there was a man with Nevis, 
who was probably one of the most talented musicians Dale ever had. The son of a gun played the flute, the piccolo, trombone, anything, and he could just pick up a piece of music by sight and play it without a, ever missing a note. And Elwood and uh, the French horn player was supposed to play a duet that night up at Bloomsbury Grammar School. Elwood uh, was also very fond of the bending the elbow. And my gosh, when he got up there, he was pretty well loaded. But he went out on the stage and they played that duet and he didn't miss a note. He played it beautifully. I noticed in the personnel in some of the programs you showed me a few minutes ago, some fathers and sons. Well, uh, yes, George Wagner, young George Wagner's father, I mean the George Wagner whom we know now, young Ollie, his father and his grandfather both played in the orchestra. His father was one of Bugby's students. He took lessons from him. There was, wasn't the Frank Miller Jr.? Yes, right, you're Frank, right. Yeah, yeah, Turk, the Turk and his played father. Played in it, and his, his father... They both played violins also. Right, and his father was yeah. really a very good violinist, yes, and was. probably if he had had uh, the opportunity of a good teacher, he would have been an outstanding violinist, but he had a lot of talent and was a real good sight reader. But I remember some of these names as being uh, prominent citizens of Danville. Here's Harry Cole's name, right. Cole's hardware. Right. Gee, Sam Kiefer. Sam Kiefer, sure. uh, Eddie Huffman, who later became, had an outstanding uh, record music. And when he was at Bucknell, he uh, had a dance band at Bucknell, and uh, was very prominent in, uh, in the area playing, and Carl Seitz uh, played in it. Mm -hmm. And here's some names, uh, George Robinson, yeah. who retired a few years ago from the Daniel National Bank. George uh, played in the orchestra, and George also had a lot of talent. Yeah, it was Ted Lyons played in it, and Stella McWilliams. By chance, was this Willard Alexander? Willard Alexander. That is, name, who was he? Sir? Willard Alexander was from Bloomsburg, and his father uh, uh, had Alexander's Orchestra, which was a very popular dance orchestra. Willard Alexander, after he graduated from the University of Pennsylvania, got involved in the management of dance orchestras. He actually discovered Benny Goodman, and Count Basie, and Von Monroe is one of the orchestras that he had. And I recently sent Willard one of these programs with his name on it, okay. because he's uh, very well known in, the, in uh, the popular music world. And I said to him, probably some of your friends weren't aware that you were a great musician as well as a uh, person that managed talent. He, he's uh, one of the characters in the movie on the life story of Benny Goodman, if any of you have seen that. I always heard that Willard Alexander and uh, the late Dean Lyon had a lot to do with each other music. Well, they, well, they were friends or something? Well, Dean played in his father's orchestra. Ah. Dean played in the banjo in his father's orchestra, and he uh, knew Willard. Of course, Willard played in it uh, for a while. And uh, Willard had a lot of friends in Danville, and any time any of us would be in New York, would call him in his office. He was very, very hospitable and warm and friendly, and he never, never forgot his friends in Bloomsburg or Danville. I think it's interesting to notice, and you mentioned Stella Davis, but there are, uh, even in those days, there were several women who played in the orchestra, and one of the outstanding musicians that I remember of was uh, Miss Gertrude Heim. Oh, yeah, well, well Gertrude Heim was uh, certainly the, the finest uh, pianist in the area at that period. And she uh, taught piano. As a matter of fact, uh, Mr. Bugby taught 
uh, his violin students in her studio, which was on East Market Street. Uh, many years ago, there was a shoemaker by the name of John Kilgus, but he had a shoe repair shop on the first floor, and Miss Heim had her studio on the second floor, and uh, as was she uh, taught her students, and she was quite a disciplinarian, incidentally, and Mr. Bugby as well. Uh, we were talking about uh, Gertrude Heim and some of the other good musicians, uh, better known musicians of the area. You mentioned some of the early soloists or special people that came with you, the cellists and others. You had vocal soloists and other types of people like that? Right. They, uh, we had a pretty well-known soprano at that time. Her name was Helen Buchanan Hitner. And one of the soloists that uh, they had at the Milton Orchestra concert was a young violin progeny. Uh, he must have been about 10 or 11 at the time. Played the Mendelssohn Violin Concerto, mm -hmm. and he played it beauty, beautifully. His name is Norman Carroll, and he is now the concertmaster of the Philadelphia Orchestra. And I remember when he played, I think he was a guest of, of Dr. and Mrs. Foss. And he came out on the stage uh, dressed in his uh, Buster Brown velvet uh, outfit. He, he played that concerto, I guess. He was just a young fellow? Oh, he was only a child. He oh. was only about 10 or 11 years old at the time. Oh, I remember a very good violinist. It was uh, Sam Warman. Did he ever play? Sam Warman played in it, but uh, of course I did mention the Falks. There was mm -hmm. Art Falk, oh, uh, yes. was, uh, played the clarinet, and Len Falk played the cello. They were brothers, weren't yes, they? Yes, and they, uh, they were professional, in a sense, professional musicians, mm -hmm. I think. At one time, they used to play in the theater here for the movies, or if they had a play or something going on at the opera house, they played in the orchestra, and as well as uh, Mr. Frank Miller and Gernheim and some of the Melwood Nevis and yes. some of those people played in the pit. Were there any social events that the, the members of the orchestra participated in uh, after the concerts? Did you... Uh, you don't have dance no, no, I don't. I don't recall that. Uh, of course, we used to play for the Geisner Nurses Commencement, which was, and they always had a reception afterwards. But I remember one time, after the orchestra ceased to exist, uh, Mrs. Foss was away, and Dr. Foss wanted to have a little reunion of the orchestra, <laughs> and he got some of the local people to come to his home. He tore all the furniture out of the dining room <laughs> and got some of the music together and we we tried to play it. He conducted it and he, he had a ball. I don't think, I don't think Mrs. Moss was very pleased when he came home and saw what he did to her house. But uh, I remember we had a real nice evening there to reminisce. He, he never uh, ceased his interest in that orchestra and uh, whenever I would see him socially, he would always start to reminisce about the orchestra. And, and of course, that's how I got to know him, and uh, I had tremendous admiration for the man and the utmost respect. I just think he was a wonderful human being. Psych, I want to thank you very sincerely on behalf of the Historical Society of Montreal County for sharing these experiences and your memories with us. And for the record, this has been recorded on January the 11th, 1983 at Site Miller's office on Ferry Street in Danville. I'm Tom McGill from the Historical Society. Another great story from Montour County's past on our podcast of History Speaks. 
We welcome you to stop by at our open houses from 2 until 4 Sunday afternoons. It's free if you're a member of the Historical Society or a young person through grade 12. All others may tour the Montgomery House and Boyd House Museums for a $5 admission. And on August the 7th, a Wednesday evening, Danville native Sue Riken Boardman, Leadership Program Director and Licensed Battlefield Guide with the Gettysburg Foundation, will be our guest speaker. She'll talk about Montour County men at the Battle of Gettysburg. Doors open at the Boyd House Museum at 6.30. The program begins at 7 o'clock, and there is a $5 admission for all who attend. We hope to see you there.